Friends, let's open God's Word to the passage that Fred read for us earlier, the Gospel of John. If you turn there, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, the Gospel of John. We're going to continue this uh, series of messages, the focus that we're having called the Gospel of Reconciliation, Gospel of Reconciliation, crossover, crossover. As you're turning there, uh, this morning when I went in the outer office to get this uh, microphone that I wear around my ear, someone had put a little yellow sticky note with it and says, the Vols play at 1210. Okay, can you? <laughs> That's, that's funny. <laughs> it's quite tacky, but it's funny. I want you to know. Oh, evidently that person doesn't know about the cameras we have in our offices. And so I'll be looking at some game film. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. Fred read for us a beautiful passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Our, our message this morning is actually a few pages over to the right. Be ready to turn to Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 1 will be there in just a few minutes. But I had him turn to this passage and ask him to read it for us to think about and meditate upon it as we worship today. Because as Jesus drew nearer and nearer to the cross. His vision, it seems, became so clear of what he had come to do and how it was all coming to this incredible conclusion. Even as he was speaking about being the good shepherd, he said this in verse 16 of chapter 10, And I have other sheep, that are not of this fold. That means not of this Jewish fold. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is saying that he is a shepherd of reconciliation. His flock will not be divided, Jew and Gentile. But the atoning work that he would do on the cross would not just be for Jewish people, but also so that all the nations of the earth might be able to rejoice in him. A few days later, if you look over at chapter 12, would you turn just a page? In chapter 12, the Gospel of John some men came to see Jesus and asked for appointment. They are Gentile men. They are Greeks. We're not told whether Jesus had the interview with them or not, but we are told that the coming of these Greeks to see him triggered in his mind what was to be accomplished in just a few days through his death, and his resurrection. He said this in chapter 12, verse 32. Because of the coming of these Greeks, he said, verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus, of course, died by crucifixion. He died that horrible death with his arms outstretched on the cross, lifted up between heaven and earth. But how fitting that the death of the Son of God would be carried out with his arms outstretched to embrace all the people groups of the world, right? If I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to me. Now that is what Christ accomplished on the cross. That work is being carried out continually to this day. But now I want us to ask and answer 
some questions about this gospel of reconciliation. I want us to ask, first of all, how is this accomplished in the personal reality? In personal reality, how is this reconciliation brought into experience? And friends, the answer is that is that for the peoples of the earth to know that there is reconciliation in Jesus Christ, somebody must go, right? Somebody must go to them with the good news in Jesus' name. Someone must cross over. Someone must cross over any barrier to share this good news of reconciliation with God in Jesus Christ. Someone must open the door. Now, the question I would ask is, who would be the one to go and open the door? Who would be the, the first one to go and open the door? Well, it would seem to me that the first one who would go and open the door would be the one to whom Jesus gave the keys. Right? You remember Jesus said to Peter, after his great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said to him, and you are Peter, you're a small stone. And upon this huge rock that you have just articulated that has been given to you to know and experience by my Father's grace, I'm going to build my church on this great confession. And I say to you, Peter, I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom. And this is exactly what we see. That as the doors are first open, the doors of reconciliation notice who it is that uses the key to open the door turn now if you would to acts i ask you to be ready turn a few pages to the right to the book of acts chapter one and you will see that in a sense there are three keys on peter's key ring that he was given by jesus figuratively speaking of course because there are three doors that Peter unlocks and opens with this gospel of reconciliation. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 1, what doors did Jesus say that he wanted his disciples to open? What were the doors? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, these are the doors that you will go and open. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There you have the three doors that are to be open. They're to be open in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, once you look at Acts chapter 2, Peter has been chosen by Jesus to take the key of the gospel and to open the door. And in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit has come upon those first believers as they were gathered in prayer, Jesus has ascended to the, to the Father. He promised, I will send the Holy Spirit and when he comes, you will be my witnesses. And on that day, the Holy Spirit came upon those believers. A huge crowd gathered to hear them exclaiming the works of God in a variety of languages as they gave praise to God. And Peter stands up with the key of the gospel and he begins to share the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. And on that day, as you come to the close of chapter 2, we are told that 3,000 people came through the door. 3,000 people. 
there in Jerusalem, the center of Judea, came in through this gospel of reconciliation. But then turn over to chapter 8. You'll notice that the Lord said, I want the gospel door to be open to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea and also to the Samaritans. Now, you need to know the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. They were hated by the Jews and they hated the Jews. The Jews considered them to be half Jews because hundreds of years before when the Babylonians carried off the entire nation of Judah, they brought in and planted into the land some people from other countries and forced some of the Jewish people to intermarry with them, thus bringing into existence the group of people known as the Samaritans. And they lived there with the Jewish people until the, this very day of Jesus' time and the disciples. They hated the Jews. The Jews hated them. Huge racial, cultural, economic, social barriers between them. But God said, I want the gospel to go to them. Peter, I want you to be the one who carries the keys. And in chapter 8, verse 14, here's what we read. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they went that they might, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them, verse 15, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Exactly what had happened recorded in Acts chapter 2. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter goes to confirm this work, to, to so to speak, officially open the door that now these Samaritans are part of the kingdom of God. But there's one more door Jesus wanted open. He wanted the door in Jerusalem and Judea opened. He wanted the door in Samaria opened. And then what other door did he want open? To the ends of the earth. And if you turn to chapter 10, here's where the ends of the earth began. And here is where the door of the gospel of reconciliation was opened by Peter. So that Gentiles might be brought in to the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 9, Peter is in Joppa. See, he's in a very smelly location. He's living at the home of Simon the Tanner. And that was not a very pleasant place. Maybe that's the reason his house was by the sea, to blow away the, the smell. Don't know. But it's a very beautiful place. Matter of fact, I've, I've been there on a couple occasions. It's pretty special now. Haifa, Jaffa, Haifa. Susan and I were there. Uh, have some fond memories of this place. <laughs> all right? I want you to know. It didn't smell at all to me. It's wonderful. Be going there next spring on a tour. Some of you'd like to go. And sorry to put that shameless plug in that way. But the message actually began, this work of opening the doors actually began in a city down the coast named Caesarea Maritinum, Caesarea by the sea. That's where this great story begins in chapter. 10, I want you to look in Acts chapter 10. And what happens is so important that the message extends from Acts 10 verse 1 to chapter 11 verse 18. God gives 66 verses from the book of Acts to describe this opening of the door to the Gentiles. 66 verses. Now, 
That's quite a sermon text. Some of you said 1210 is not even a possibility. <laughs> so this really isn't going to be a, a sermon, but it's a journey. I just want us to take a journey just to experience the power of telling the story, the power of the Word of God, of how God broke down the walls that existed for centuries and the door of the gospel was open to the Gentiles. This just be a walking commentary, so to speak. I remember when I was in seminary, I had a Greek professor named... Uh, his name was Dr. Marshall Neal, happened to be a, a Presbyterian. He was the dean of the school of religion. Had a very dry sense of humor. One day we were in Greek class and one of my fellow students asked him, said, Dr. Dr. Neal, what method of Bible exposition would you recommend? And with his very wry, dry sense of humor, Dr. Neal said, well, young man, I would recommend the New Testament method of exposition. When they persecute you in one verse, flee to another. Okay. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do here. I hope there won't be much persecution. Here's the story, chapter 10. Have you got your Bible? This was so important that God wrote the whole story down. Verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius... A centurion, that is, he's a, he is a commander of a hundred Roman soldiers known as the Italian cohort. These are very picked troops. These are from Rome itself. They, they are part of the emperor's guard. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household. Now, he's a Gentile, but he believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, that is about 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send to Joppa. And bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier, that is another Roman soldier who was a worshiper of God, from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So he went to the top of the house, flat roof, up in the breeze, to pray at noon. And he became hungry. And he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And... He saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So it's an image that takes in all the earth, the four corners of the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. That is, never eaten anything that's not kosher, holy, separated to God. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was Peter, was lodging there. This is a divine appointment with divine preparation on both sides. 
And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited, that is, Peter invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers, that is, Jewish brothers, believers in Jesus, some brothers from Joppa accompanied him, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So they are gathered, waiting for Peter's arrival, this gathering of Gentiles. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter began to understand the meaning of the vision. The walls are starting to come down. So I was sent for. I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John had proclaimed. Let me stop here to say, this is several years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. People all over the Middle East knew about the story of Jesus. They knew of his wonders and deeds. This was not some secret. This was what, not something done and communicated by a few people. It was publicly known, all the things associated with Jesus. How God anointed Jesus, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. 
While Peter was in the midst of his message, God didn't even wait for the invitation. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jewish ones, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them, hearing these Gentiles speaking in languages, in tongues, extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. What a moment. What a moment. It changed everything. The world has never been the same. Because of what happened in that room. Bible scholars refer to this as the Gentile Pentecost. Why? Because Acts chapter 2 is the festival of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came on the Jewish people. But here the Holy Spirit comes on Gentiles. The same Spirit with the same results. Note what happened when the Holy Spirit came with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Note what happened. Number one, people were regenerated. The Holy Spirit, by His divine power came into the lives of these people in that room, these Gentile people, and they were born again. They were regenerated and given new life in Jesus Christ. They were regenerated. And then notice immediately what happened. They began to confess Jesus as Lord. They began to speak. And even with gifts of languages they did not know, they began to speak of the glory of God and the glory of the gospel. And then what? They were baptized. They identified themselves with the one who had died for them, was buried for them, and rose again. Here you have the gospel order. People are regenerated by the power of the word of God The Holy Spirit bears witness to the living Christ and brings life into the hearts of dead sinners so they come alive in Jesus. And they begin to confess that their life has been changed and they've experienced this saving power. And on that confession, they are baptized in the name of Jesus. My friend, where are you in that order this morning? For some this morning, perhaps this is the day of your regeneration. This is the day that you understand that life is in Jesus Christ. And God, by His grace, comes and with the power of His Spirit, brings you to life in Christ. What a glorious day that would be. And you confess Him. Today, perhaps, is the day you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Perhaps today, you truly knowing that you're redeemed, you're accepted by Jesus Christ, and you have been purchased by His blood, you begin to confess and praise Him for that. Maybe for some here, this needs to be the time when you say, I need... To identify with Christ as my Savior. I need to be baptized. I need to identify myself with the one who died and was buried and rose again. It doesn't matter what my parents did for me when I was a baby. This is my faith. My Savior. My life. And I will identify with Him for what He has done in my heart. What a great moment this would be if that were your decision. What joy 
joy filled this house. Joy everywhere, but not everywhere. There are some people who are just joy killers. Did you know that? And sometimes they're in church. I hope you don't meet any of them. But there are joy killers in church. And that's exactly what happened. Look at chapter 11. Chapter 11 tells us there were some people in Jerusalem that were not happy with this. These are the legalists. The legalists who believed that Jesus was Messiah, but Jesus was for the Jews only. Jesus for the Jews only. And now they've heard that their leader, Peter, has not just gone and entered a Gentile home, but he shared with Gentiles about the Jewish Savior, and some of them have even gotten baptized. Now Peter's got some splaining to do. He's got some splaining to do. In chapter 11, here's what happens. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that means the legalists, the people who were saying you've got to keep the law just as always, you've got to become Jewish, you've got to only follow the ways of the Jewish law, they were teaching that, they criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men. You went to these Gentiles. You ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. And then Peter just rehearses the whole thing. Verses 5 through 14. He tells them the story of what has happened. And you've got to love this. Peter, he's bold, but he hides behind God. <laughs> Look at verse 15. He says, this is Peter, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, that is John the Baptist, baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, here comes Peter's brilliant logic as he hides behind God. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? It's okay to do that. Use the God card. That's all right. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. Absolutely dumbstruck. Jaw-dropping moment. When the leaders of the church in Jerusalem Understand, the Gentiles are part of God's family with them. But after that dramatic pause, they understood what God had done. Verse 18, they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Boom. The biggest wall that had existed in the history of mankind. Jews and Gentiles separated in every way imaginable with a hatred of the generations between them. Boom. The wall came flat in the power of the love of God and the message of Jesus, who is the Savior of 
all the people of the world, not just some. Now, what, what do we do with this? This is a great story. But friends, it's in the Bible. God wanted his people gathered just like we are. For 2,000 years, people have gathered in little clusters and in giant congregations and have read this story because God didn't want his people ever to forget it. So, what's our takeaway? I've thought about this a lot this week. Just let me share these couple of things before we close but listen carefully. Here's the big message. Walls are not doors. Whatever wall is in your life, whatever wall is in your heart, whatever wall is between you and other people, that is not a door. What do we know about walls? Walls are deceptive in nature. Because you see, walls are not visible, usually. It's not like the Berlin Wall. Walls are invisible, but they're real. We don't see them, but we know they exist. Walls are cultural. Listen carefully. Peter was a good man. Peter is a wonderful man, but since his infancy, he had been taught by his parents and his grandparents and his ancestors had passed down to him that there was a wall between the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, and the Gentiles. They are not our friends. We are not like them. Peter had that ingrained in every part of his being. His brain tracked across those synapses. Many years ago, credible musical was written called South Pacific. Some of you have enjoyed that a lot. It's been around almost 70 years, I think 70 years this year. But do you know that when that musical was touring and then when the film was made, it was banned in many places in the United States? As a matter of fact, Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein, who were the playwright, the lyricist of this, they were told they had to change it or it could not be shown. And they said, if anything's taken out, we won't show it. What was so terrible South Pacific banned? Why? Because it included two stories of interracial love. Love between a nurse, Nellie Forbush, from Little Rock, Arkansas. Her love for a French planter, Emile de Beck, whose wife had died and he had two biracial children through her. She was a Polynesian. She loved him, but when she found out about these biracial children, she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. It was just too much what had been put in her heart, all she knew and believed. And then there's another story. It's a story of Lieutenant Joe Gable, who is from Philadelphia, PA. He falls in love with a young Polynesian woman named Leah. There's great opposition to that. When Nellie Forbush tells Emile de Beck she can't marry him, he is so frustrated, he's so overwhelmed, he can't understand what's going on. So he finds this American, this American, to tell him what's this all about. And Joe Gable, the lieutenant, says, I'll tell you what it's all about. 
No, you're right. We're not born this way. And then he starts to sing this song. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed into your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. Walls are cultural. And sometimes, listen, sometimes walls have been erected in our heart. And they have been helped to put there by people who truly love God, perhaps, Maybe they are wonderful influences in your life and their memory is dear and sweet to you to this very hour. But even if you've been taught that people are to be separate but equal, different from each other, have our own ways and just agree that we're not to be together. If you've been taught that, my friend, listen, You've been taught differently right here. This Bible knows nothing of that. The gospel of Jesus teaches us differently. You can't say, I'm stuck because I was taught that. You've been taught differently. And there's a different spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. You see, walls are personal. Walls got to come down personally. Personally, they've got to come down. We are responsible. We can't blame society. Don't blame what you see on the television. Don't blame talk radio. Don't blame what's happened in your past. These walls that separate people. The question is, what will you do? What will I do? You see, these walls are disobedience to Jesus. That's what we have to understand. They're disobedience to Jesus. Friends, can I ask a very logical question, I think? <laughs> I'll just stand with, Paul, with Peter, right? I'll hide behind God. Who are we to build walls that Jesus tore down? If Jesus tore them down, who are we to build walls? Jesus has given us keys to unlock doors. He's not given us bricks to build walls. A wall is not a door. How can we only love some when Jesus loves all? Number three, this is evident. Walls are destroyed by the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll see next week in Peter's life, even though he experienced this, the work wasn't yet completed. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one day. It does happen one sermon. But we have to determine with the power of the Lord working in our hearts that those walls are going to come down. And any wall that he doesn't want there will come down in Jesus' name. This is the work of the Spirit. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and come and gather someplace in his name and then go out and allow to remain these barriers in your heart. You can't do that. Because the very work of the Lord is to tear down in the love of Christ these barriers. Number four, walls are to be declared broken by God's people. What did these people do in verse 18? They glorified God. They praised God. They declared that the walls were down. Friends, listen. Walls coming down between human beings 
That is not society's job to declare those walls are to come down. That's not a political party's job to declare those walls are coming down. That is not the culture's role. That is first and foremost, that's the voice of the church. The church is to say this. The church is not to be silent. And if the church is not to be silent, that doesn't just mean the pastor. It means I cannot be silent. In the early 1950s, in the early 1950s, who were the leading voices for integration? I'll tell you who two of them were. Just happened, both of them, just two of them just happened. There are many others, both to be Baptist pastors. You know who they were? One. Dr. Martin Luther King, Baptist pastor. And another Baptist preacher who said, I will not hold a crusade in any city where there is not complete integration. You know who that was? Billy Graham. Friends, the church is the voice of God. We are to speak what God says. We are to say what he says. And he says his love is for all people. All people matter to him. What a change happened in this church because of the breaking of those walls. You know, one of the greatest witnesses you'll ever have is when people around you see the walls coming down in your life. My oldest brother, Lloyd, many of you know, who's been gone now almost two years, was severely handicapped mentally all of his life, physically as well. And you know how that happened. 1949, my mother was in the midst of the delivery of my brother, Lloyd. She was having a very hard labor. They called and called to get to the doctor to come. And the doctor kept telling them, give her an injection to stop the labor. My dad knew nothing about this. He waited and waited and waited. Finally, the doctor came out and he said, hey, Polson, your wife's really having a hard time. Uh, we're, we're helping her. And my dad smelled alcohol in his breath. And because my brother Lloyd was not able to be born in that timely fashion, the pressure built on his head, the oxygen was restricted, and he was injured in his brain and the rest of his life handicapped by that. My dad found out from someone in the room they had called and called for the doctor, but the doctor was finishing his golf game at the country club. And I remember when I was about 10 years old, my brother Lonnie was about 13. I remember this so well. I remember my dad saying, boys, let me tell you, how I knew Jesus had come into my heart. Let me tell you how I knew he had made me a new person. Because I could see that doctor on the street. Who I had seen many times in previous years. And I hated him to the depths of my being. For what he had done to my son, your brother. And what that had done to your dear mom. But now I see him. And I don't hate him anymore. I pray for him. And I want him to know Jesus too. I want to tell you something. Can you imagine the power on a child that hears a testimony like that from dad? It's hard to go to hell from a home like that. And dear friend, I want to tell you, the greatest and most powerful witness you may ever have is when someone sees 
that your religion isn't just go to church Sunday, but it is changing and revolutionizing your life and walls are coming down and you're giving God praise for it. Now that's the real deal. Let's bow our heads. We're not going to sing. We... We're going to sing how great is our God, and he is, but I just think we just need to settle here just for a moment. Oh, friend, before I pray, today, today, the arms of the Lord are are open to you. You're not too far away. No matter how far away you think you are from God, you're here this morning by divine appointment and his arms are open to you, and the Lord Jesus' arms are open to you, and they invite you to come, to come and experience forgiveness and restoration and healing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us are here this morning by divine appointment that the walls have got to come down. Maybe they're racial, maybe they're social. Maybe there are things that were ingrained in you by your parents, grandparents, your culture. I don't know. But maybe it's a wall you've built in your family. Maybe it's a wall between a husband and wife, children and parents. Maybe it's a wall that separates the past from your present. And that wall is hindering your freedom. Oh, the power of Jesus and his love. Knocks down all barriers. Would you ask the Lord to help you by his grace and the power of his spirit to see these walls come down? Oh, it'll be a struggle. It won't be easy, but they must come down in Jesus' name. And oh, church family, will we be people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, our places of work, Wherever we go, that we go with the love of Christ. And I plead for the Holy Spirit to help us to reach across all man-made barriers and to share the love of Christ in word and deed. May we be those people. May we be brave to speak to individuals, or to groups. The uniting love of God in Christ. Oh Lord, I ask now for your power. This is of you. We are your people. This is your gospel. This is your good news. Now, may we model it and share it in the name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.